Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 305, or as I like to think it, part three of our introduction to QAV reboot that we're doing early in 2020, recording this on the 6th of April 2020. And uh, this is actually kind of part two of what we started in 303 last week, which is the introduction to the QAV checklist. So if you haven't heard 303 yet, I suggest you go back and listen to that. That's season three, episode three. It's the first part of our introduction to the checklist. If you have heard that, well, this is part two. It's about another hour of uh, walking through the checklist step by step. And this week we pick it up with column T. Is it the lowest PE in the last three years? Uh, Now, I think on the front page again of Stock Doctor in section five, share price value, you can scroll backwards and Mm -hmm. see the PE. So we want to go back six halves to get three years. Is that right? Correct, yes. Uh, we, we give it a score here, according to mine, uh, my, my guide here, two for the lowest, zero if it's not the lowest, and mm-hmm. negative one if it's the highest. That's right, yes. Do you want to you want to talk us through why? Yeah, again, it's an indicator of value. So uh, I, I, using three years was a bit arbitrary, uh, but uh, the, the thinking behind it was if you go back too far, the company could have evolved over time and the PE could have changed. But in the last three years, and all things being equal, it's probably roughly the same sort of company it was three years ago. And so we can compare its PEs. And if the PE is the lowest in that three-year period, that's a sign of value. And if it's the highest in that three-year three period, it's probably the sign of it being overvalued. So we, we give it a check, for a one or a zero or a minus one, or two, I think, or a zero or a minus one in the checklist accordingly. Two, zero, and minus one, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So if it has the lowest PE in the last three years, it's an indicator that the stock is currently undervalued by the market. Correct. All right, so column U is net equity. Uh, this is straight up financial data. You can get it. Stock doctor, go to the financial statements tab, statement of financial position, and look for the equity row. Uh, explain to us newbies what net equity means, Tony. Yeah, so just before I do that, so just in Stock Doctor, we're going to financial statements and then there's, there's a tab uh, and we're clicking on the one called Statement of Financial Position, brackets, balance sheet. Uh, and that gives us the equity. Yeah, so to explain what equity is, it's technically it's the assets minus liabilities. So for a company to have equity, to have positive equity, it means it's got to have more assets than it does liabilities. Assets are things like uh, plant and equipment that it owns or property that it owns. It can be some intangibles that we've talked about before, um, like uh, goodwill. So if it's bought companies, uh, goodwill is the difference between the uh, equity that's buying and the price it's paid. And so that can go onto the balance sheet too. Um, and there's also other times there's there's uh, intangibles for things like the the value of say a brand if it's a very strong brand they can mm. some butter bean yes, positive butter word bean. of po- positive word of mouth about our wives on the stripper poles <laughs> yes that's right so there can be other can be reasons why there's intangibles but but basically we're looking at the total assets and we're taking away the total liabilities liabilities in the main are going to, is going to be debt. 
but there are also you know short-term things like supplies I have to pay but haven't paid yet or also counted as a liability. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be using this uh, in a minute to determine the value of the assets that we're buying for every dollar spent. So in my mind, if I think about the coffee shop analogy, thinking, well, if the business costs us $100,000 to buy the whole thing and the net assets of the business are worth $110,000, it's a low-risk investment because I could sell the business for parts tomorrow. I could Gordon Mm. Gecko it, split it up, sell Mm -hmm. it for parts, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd make a profit. But if the net assets are only $20,000 and I have to pay $100,000 for it, it's a, it's a higher risk investment. That's right. You're relying more on the earnings to, um, to repay you rather than the assets Yeah. Uh, in that case. Yeah. And that's a good example. So if the coffee shop rented its space, it's going to have a lot less assets than the coffee shop which owns its space. Uh, so they own the building that they, uh, that they operate from. Yeah, uh, And that, that might actually have an effect on the valuation that we pay for the company. Okay, so column U is we ask the question, does the company have consistently increasing equity? And I think we get that from the same page that you said before. And it, again, it mm-hmm. scrolls so we can go right back. And how far do we want to scroll back here? And six halves again? Six halves again, that's right. Again, no real science behind that other than it gives us a trend without going back too far, uh, which which may be distorted because the company's changed. And so we're going to give it a, a one for a positive and a zero for a negative here because we're trying to determine how well management is performing. Uh, if the equity, the net equity continues to increase steadily, they're doing a good job. They're building a business that's grow, you know, has more and more equity, half by half by half by half. If it's going up and down, it's an indicator that it's not a not steady growth, and there might be some problems. Yeah, that's right. And if you remember that, well, we're a, as an owner of the company or a part owner of the company, <clears throat> equity is our asset. So that's what we're buying. And uh, if you think about it, what we're trying to do is to have a a company which gives us a good return on that equity. Uh, and therefore, that equity should be growing. So it can also be a sign of a company with a bumpy return on equity number or a low return on equity number as well. Right. Well, column uh, W then is for in my spreadsheet. I just I copy the share price over again. It's only there to be used as an easy, easy reference for the next column, which is column X, which asks what the net equity per share is, or NEPS, N-E-P-S, NEPS, um, also known as book value. Is that right, Tony? Yes, although we've had some discussion about whether it's also called net tangible assets per share. But I think we stick to book value or NEPS is probably a good way to go. So this is another calculation cell. Basically, I'm taking the net equity figure that we just came up with and dividing it by the share price. And this, again, is telling me, you know, for every dollar that I spend, how much equity I'm actually getting. Yes, correct. So ideally, you want to pay a dollar for a dollar's equity per share, um, but no more than 30% above net equity per share. So this comes in the next column. So column Y, I asked the question, is the share price less than the NEPs? It's a score cell, so it gets one for a yes, blank for a no. Why blank for a no, Tony? Well, again, it's one of these boost things because uh, plenty of companies won't be trading at their net equity per share value. 
it's a fairly rare occurrence, but if they are, it's a it's a thing we want to give an extra score on the checklist for. But we don't want to penalise them if they're not. No, that's right. Otherwise, you're penalising most of the market. Yeah. And then column Z is the price to book ratio. Another formula. This one is price the share price minus NEPS divided by NEPS. This is giving us a ratio for the next column, column AA, which is the question that you were indicating a few seconds ago. Is the share price less than 30% above NEPS, the net equity per share? This is another score sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is what you're saying. Ideally, we don't want to pay any more than 30% above uh, the share price. This is more safety margin stuff. Why? Why the thirty percent figure? Is that? Uh, is there any science behind that, or is it more black magic? <laughs> it's not black magic. It's uh, it's another steal from Warren Buffett, who has always said that he would be interested in buying back Berkshire Hathaway shares if he thought that they were trading at less than thirty percent of book value. And and did he say why thirty percent? Is it just about? Uh, risk margin. I think I think he actually did. I'm stretching my memory here, but I think it was partly risk margin, but partly also that it can be, uh, again, because of all the intangibles, etc. It can be a difficult thing to nail down book value if you drill right down into it. So he's giving himself a bit of a a buffer there. A buffer. A buffer. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're on fire today, mm. Tony. <laughs> Buffer, <laughs> butter, bean, oh, Jesus, it's gold. Um, okay, so the safety margin here. So if if we're spending a dollar, uh, no, if we if we're going to buy a dollar's worth of equity, we don't want to spend much more than a dollar thirty three. Again, it's just about minimising the risk. How much are you paying for this thing? You don't want to overpay. When uh, I was with you in Sydney a week or so ago. You were talking about buying a car and how you, you like to negotiate price mm. before you buy yeah. anything. And you said shares are exactly the same. And you know we've said this a lot of times, but it's worth repeating. There's two parts to QAV. There's quality and there's value. That's what the QAV stands for if people haven't worked it out yet. Quality and value. And you, you want to buy good quality stock, but you don't want to pay too much for it because... I mean, okay, so the car analogy is going and buying a, a Mercedes Benz. The, the you don't want to, that's worth I don't know, let's say hundred grand. You don't want to pay five hundred grand for it. Why would you do that? Why would you pay yeah, five exactly. times what something's worth? That's ridiculous. When it comes mm. to shares, though, people quite often don't have the mindset of determining the the intrinsic value of the share, so they will quite often overpay for something. Yeah, and look, I think uh, there's a school of thought uh, in investing that paying anything for quality is still a good uh, investment because, you know, the company will keep going up and its share price will follow and over time you get your money back. I don't subscribe to that. I don't think anything's worth overpaying for, even if it's the best company on the share market. Well, that's one of my favourite quotes is from Howard Marks at Oak Tree. He says, figure out what something is worth and then try to buy it for less. Exactly. I think he also so says, buy, buy shares like you buy everything else when it's on sale. Yes. Yep. Which, which is part of the discipline of <laughs> investing or value investing, right? Is uh, only buy it when you can get a good deal. Yep. Everything's value investing if you look at it that way. 
but a lot of people don't on the share market for some reason. For all oh. sorts of human psychology we've talked about before, uh, they've, their mates have made money out of investing in a tech stock, so they don't want to be left behind, so they go and buy it too. It's emotional. All the sort of mistakes I made in the first year of my investing. Yeah, <laughs> I fear, I fear, fear of missing out. out greed yep. emotion it's what drives the market so we're trying to be more scientific than that correct we're trying to take the emotion out so column a b uh what is the earnings per share now this is straight up financial data we get it on stock doctor and the financial statements page under profitability financial statements financial metrics mm-hmm. profit yeah first tab financial metrics profitability it's got an eps and it's expressed as cents yes do you want to explain uh, that i've got a note here that it tells us something about how well they're investing their equity so earnings earnings per share is uh, i think we spoke about it before it's the earnings part of the pe ratio so it's how much profit is the company making divided by its share price or profit per share divided by its share price and that gives us earnings per share Okay, and as I said, we're, we're grabbing that number here because in the next column, AC, we're going to figure look at, to see what analysts are saying the future earnings per share is. And we can get this from two places. Stock Doctor has a future earnings per share sometimes for some business, mm-hmm. depending on the size of the business. Sometimes it doesn't. Yep. Share Analysis also, shareanalysis.com also has uh, a future EPS prediction in there and the way that I've learned to understand this is because you don't try and become an expert on macroeconomics or on the economics of a particular industry or sector or business you don't spend a lot of time drilling deep down into who their competitors are and what their R&D is like and where they're leading the market and all that kind of stuff which some people do particularly full-time analysts do that kind of stuff what you do is go and look at well those professional analysts who do understand the sector and do understand what the company is doing and where they're putting their money what do they think the future earnings per share is going to be, and I'll just take that. I'll take a the the summary of a consensus from a number of analysts, and I'll use that as my shorthand calculation. Correct. And just one more thing I'd say is that oftentimes the analysts are doing a shorthand calculation because they're using the guidance from the company as well. So most companies, most large companies, will say we think our earnings per share next year is going to be X, Y, or Z, or within the range. Wow. What do these analysts get paid to do then? Just like read what the company says and republish it. <laughs> think, of, think of new ways of obscuring how to invest so you can charge more fees. I don't know. Yeah. Stripper <laughs> polls. wonder if they've considered that. Someone uh, did. They've, they've, they've already registered barterbean.com. So yeah. Someone has. <laughs> Way ahead of us. Uh, okay. So that's column AC again. So in Stock Doctor to find the future EPS, I should um, make a note of that. Is that in the same uh, the same place where we got it before under profitability? They just have the uh, estimate for the next uh, period. Correct. Yeah, and I usually just take the next period. So, like Stock Doctor, sometimes will have two periods going forward, so this year and next year. Uh, but I just should, I just take the next period, and the same with share analysis. It'll have probably two years of forecast, but I just take the next uh, forecast period. Okay. So then in column AD, I want to work out 
uh, another formula. This is the growth of the earnings per share. So the future earnings per share, subtract the current earnings per share, and then divide that result by the PE. Now you've told me before that this little formula is something that you borrowed from Peter Lynch. He's, he reverses it. He calls it the PE over growth or the PEG ratio. Mm -hmm. And right. ideally, we want the growth of the earnings per annum to be close to the PE. Why is that? Well, he, uh, Peter Lynch always thought that was the true intrinsic value for a company. Uh, so taking into account its growth and what you're paying for it now, he thought when they, they were equal, that was the right price to pay. Uh, I'd have to go back and reread his book to understand why that was the case. But basically what he's saying is that you can pay... I guess in a in a broad sense, he's saying you can pay more for a company that's growing quickly, and you you should pay less for a company that's growing slowly. So the for the PE to be equal, sorry, for the PE over growth to be equal to one, then if the growth is only ten percent, the PE should be ten should be ten, and if the growth is twenty percent, then the PE should be twenty. So he's basically saying you can pay more for a growing company. Okay, so in the next column, column AE, we ask the question, is the growth over PE higher than 1.5? If it's a yes, it gets a 1. If it's no, it gets a 0. And if it's a negative result, it gets a minus 1. Why mm -hmm. the 1.5 number? Yeah, so again, I've, I've probably inverted Peter Lynch's number here, but um, if you do it the other way around, he's looking to buy things that are less than 1. So I think he, I think from memory he was saying 0.75. So basically, if your if your PE is 10 but the company's growing at 20%, that's a buy. So you're not paying very much for that growth. Uh, I, I came across it in, more recently in a different uh, presentation from a stockbroker, and they they inverted it and used 1.5. So that's what I've adopted in my checklist. So in essence, we're we're using this to determine if the Companies' earnings are growing faster than the price uh, to earnings ratio. Yeah, well, the, the PE doesn't grow as so much, but we're, we're trying to find, like I said before, a company that's growing at twenty percent, but its PE is only ten percent. So it's it's fast growing, but we're not paying as uh, as much for it as that growth would indicate we should pay for it. Right, but the, the, yeah, what I meant to say is the that it's growing faster than the, what the current PE is. So the current PE isn't taking into account the future growth. Uh, effect, yeah, that's right. Uh, effectively. Correct. Yes, correct. Again, another measure of value. Yeah, so it's 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 saying we think this business's earnings are going to grow, so the PE uh, will grow. The PE a year from now will be different to what it is today, but if we can buy it today at that price and it not factoring in what the earnings are going to be a year from now, we're getting it at a good price. Correct. Yeah, it's cheaper. That sounded convoluted, but I understood what I meant. I was just going to say, I think one thing that might be becoming clear to people who are listening to us is that we don't just have one way of valuing a company. And... Uh, I spoke about this before. We, I have found that there is no one uh, KPI or no one metric that is a great indicator of quality or value. What we're trying to do is build almost like a radar map of all different things that are pinging. And then uh, if they ping on a number of different fronts, whether it's book value or book value plus 30% or um, growth over PE, all those kinds of things, then the score goes up. 
So we're not really focusing on one way over any other way. Mm. You're like a doctor that's uh, listening to their chest, taking their temperature, uh, you know, listen, taking their heart rate, doing some blood analysis, blood work, sticking your finger up their coit to uh, check the prostate. Um, you know, you're, you're fondling, you're squeezing, you're checking it, you're doing a full full checkup. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Just like a doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nearing 50. I'll be 50 at the end of the year. So, you know, getting the old prostate exam is front of mind. Mm. I'm sorry to uh, disturb people who had to visualise that. <laughs> Not looking forward to it. Or maybe, or am I? I don't know. <laughs> well, I can take you out the back of the bar to be and give you one if you like. <laughs> Do you charge extra for that? <laughs> Uh, uh, okay, so column F, we're getting to the end here. Uh, let's push through, if that's okay with you, if you're up for it. Yep, sure. I mean, pushing through, not the uh, <laughs> rectal exam. Not the proctology. <laughs> <laughs> column AF, intrinsic value number one. Okay, so this is where we get down to brass tacks, and we're trying to, this is, we mentioned the discounted cash flow uh, in, in a recent episode. Uh, which is something that uh, Buffett, uh, people like him, use to determine what they think the value of a company is. And we've talked about the fact that you have this calculation called an intrinsic value. We do two of them. It's sort of an estimation, a, a shortcut, a heuristic to achieve sort of the same thing as doing a full DCF calculation. Our IV number one is the current earnings per share, the current EPS, divided by 19.5%, which is one of the hurdle rates that we look at. Can you, this took me a long time to get my head around. Can you explain what a hurdle rate is, Tony? Yeah, sure. So when, we, when we're talking about discounted cash flows, the hurdle rate is the discounting factor. Uh, so it's, it's basically saying that... Uh, if I'm going to buy the coffee shop and I'm going to project out into the future what it's currently earning, uh, I'm going to discount that future cash flow for two reasons. One, because there's risk, and two, because uh, the money of the day in the future is not worth what the money is now. So uh, I think we spoke before about uh, if, I, if I agreed to give you $1,000 in 10 years' time, how much would you pay for that contract now? And you take into account the risk of me not being around in 10 years' time or having $1,000 to pay you. And also the fact that $1,000 in 10 years' time might be worth $700 now or $600 or $500 or whatever. And so, again, trying to put some science around it, the hurdle rate is the, the rate you use to discount the future cash flows. I use 19.5% in this first IV calculation because that's what my long-term return has been in the market. So I'm looking for stocks that I want to add, which are getting better than that hurdle rate. Uh, it's a very small very small sample set, but uh, if they do achieve that, that uh, sort of metric, they're really worthwhile looking at. And so one of the things that um, I want to point out to people too is that quite often uh, the current share price will be above our IV figure. Mm -hmm. And we may still end up giving it a buy rating because, as you've explained to me in the past, this is just, again, one measurement. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. a go-no-go -no -go like the sentiment is. 
It's not the be-all and end-all. It's just one more data point that we're looking at. Ideally, we would like to be able to buy the pro- buy the share for what our intrinsic value is or less. Mm-hmm. But if it's above that today, that's not necessarily uh, a deal-breaker. No, and that's right. It's, be- it's partly because the uh, particularly IV number one is a very, very high bar. Uh, discounting the earnings per share into the future by a high hurdle rate means it's got to be in deep value before you buy it. And that, that's just that that's great if it happens, but uh, it, it, uh, it, may, uh, it may we don't want to necessarily rule companies out that don't quite meet that, uh, that hurdle rate. Right. So um, in my spreadsheet, people will see that the next column AG is just the current share price copied over from earlier. Again, just for easy reference, because column AH asks the question, is today's price below IV number one? If it's a yes, it gets a one. If it's a no, it gets a zero. So again, not the end of the world if it is below the IV, but it just it gets a score if it does. Just all adds up at the end of the day. Yeah. The next column, AI, is intrinsic value number two. Again, it's a formula, but in this case, we take the future EPS that we grabbed earlier from Stock Doctor, or you can get it from Share Analysis, and we divide it by a different hurdle rate, the, the market hurdle rate. And uh, this is one that, that I think tricks a lot of people up, Tony. So, and, and in fact, uh, somebody pointed out to me earlier that in the first time, when we first uh, did our Getting Started episodes, I, I screwed this up the way I explained it. And it took until now for somebody to point that out to me. So I don't know what everyone else has been doing uh, <laughs> when they listened to it. Just went right over their heads, maybe. But uh, let, why don't you explain the second hurdle rate, the future uh, in, IV2 hurdle rate? Yeah, so... Uh, IV2 hurdle rate uses what's often called the market hurdle rate. So again, it's a, it's a norm in accounting to use a, uh, a risk premium for stocks of 6% and then to add in the long-term interest rate, which is currently 0.25%. Sorry, can coming... I just... Is norm in accounting like Scotty from marketing? Is that... Uh, <laughs> should we... Like norm at Cheers? Norm! <laughs> What's up, Norm? My nipples, it's cold outside. What what should <laughs> Sorry, please keep going. Oh, that's okay. No, I think I think there's some science behind it way back when, maybe a hundred years ago, that someone said, look, if I'm gonna buy stocks rather than bonds, I wanna get a, uh, a, a I wanna pay less for the stocks and the bonds. And and that risk premium is is being calculated as six percent for a long time. So so most, uh, most fund managers in the market will be using 6% plus the long-term uh, interest rate. So 6.25% is the current hurdle rate, which is commonly used. So let's explain the long-term interest rate. The, this is the RBA cash rate? It is, yes, that's right. And it's, it's generally the, the rate that applies to a 10-year government bond. Right. So, okay, that's why that's important. So that's what I could get uh, for a bond. <laughs> Nothing, effectively, right now. Yeah. yeah. Soon to probably go to zero. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to I get at least 6% better than that if I'm going to take the risk of investing in stocks. Correct. That's right, compared to putting your money into bonds. Yep. Column AJ asks the question, is the share price below IV number two? Again, so before, if it's a yes, it gets a one. If it's a no, it gets a zero. Some, in some cases, IV2 will be blank because yes. the EPS 
the sorry the future EPS will be blank we can't get one There's, I find this is quite mm-hmm. often with smaller companies mm-hmm. that don't have analysts looking at it correct yes and that that can be a, a good thing for us because if we found a company which the analysts haven't found yet because it's too small as it grows uh, if it scores well on our checklist we're hoping for it to grow uh, then uh, as it gets analysts starting to report it report on it then we get more investors buying in it and that drives the share price up yeah so it's not necessarily a bad thing correct yes Column AK asks the question, is IV number two more than twice the current share price? If it's a yes, it gets a one. If it's not, it gets a zero. If it's a, if the FEPS is a blank, so is this. Why do we have this question in there, Tony? Yeah, again, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an example of a, a company selling with a price which is at extreme value. So if, if we think the value of the company is a dollar per share, but our uh, IV is saying that uh, it's 50 cents, then it's, 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 again, an indicator of it probably being very undervalued. Column AL asks whether or not it is a star stock on Stock Doctor. Gets a one for a yes, a zero for a no. And a star stock is basically a health rating from Stock Doctor, right? And you can tell if it's Correct. a star stock because when you go to... The first page for that company on Stock Doctor, it's, if it is, it'll have stars beside its name. Yeah, and they, they use three stars from memory, so we, we need to be careful here. So if it's a star growth stock, it gets a one. But they also have a green star, which is called a borderline star growth stock. So that's a stock which is almost a star stock. Uh, and they have a purple star, which is what they call a star income stock. So it's a stock which pays a good yield. And it's also a quality, has a good quality score. Uh, so I give stocks, the star growth stocks, a score of one and 0.5 if they're borderline or star income stocks. What colour is the star growth? Can you remember? It's it's gold. Right. So borderline gets a 0.5. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I've got BHP open in front of me at the moment. It's a borderline plus a star income stock. So we would score at 0.5 plus 0.5 for one. Oh, it gets a 0.5 for star income too. Yeah. Okay. And this is basically just, again, giving us... We're taking advantage of the fact that there are analysts at Stock Doctor that have delved down deeply into the financials and the prognostications. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've gone beyond the uh, proc proctology exam they've done they've put put it in an an mri machine they've done ultrasounds and they're giving it a rating and we're going yep thanks very much we'll we'll use that and whack it into our calculations yeah so i spoke before about merv lincoln's work into companies that go bankrupt and how he came up with a list of ratios to uh to measure the financial health of companies the, the star stock process goes one step further and it's all laid out on the front page of the of Stock Doctor. So obviously the company's got to have strong financial health. They, I think from memory, they look at uh, uh, things like whether earnings per share growth is going up by 8% or more from memory. So they're looking at growth. They're looking at the outlook. Uh, that may be where they score, whether it's going up or not. Uh, they look at the dividend yield for a star income stock criteria. Um, from memory, they're looking at return on assets above 8%. And I think return on equity 
yeah, I'm not sure what the score is, maybe 12%. Anyway, all these numbers are outlined in uh, in Stock Doctor. You can look them up if you like. Uh, they have a, uh, their own version of the sentiment check, which is um, their SD max that they look at. Uh, yeah, and so it's not just the financial health of the company, it's a few other metrics that they put into their checklist and give stocks a star, star stock or a borderline stock rating. Right, and then we go over to our old friends at Share Analysis, shareanalysis.com, and we look to see what they are giving it for their own health rating. Mm-hmm. And we're, they use a systems of A's, uh, A, B, C's, and I think D's, and also numbers. Correct. Yeah, so uh, the letter, I think, from memory is the strength of the balance sheet, and the number is the the strength of the profit and loss statement. And so you're looking for uh, A1s, A2s, B1s and B2s as being the, the highest quality in the share analysis universe. So if it gets an A1, A2 or B1 or B2 on share analysis, it gets a one. If it doesn't, it gets a zero. Mm-hmm. You can find this on share analysis. You go to the summary page, look at the first two graphs, quality and performance. There's one's uh, the A and one's the number. See where it, mm-hmm. if it gets an A1, A2, B1 or B2. Column AN asks, what is the stock doctor current intrinsic value? This is another financial data page. Um, this is again, section five on the nine golden rules page. And I think we use either the Lincoln valuation or the consensus valuation here. Yes, we give preference to the Lincoln valuation if it's available, but uh, Stock Doctor only gives a Lincoln valuation for its star stocks, uh, also their borderline ones and their um, star income stocks. So if it's not part of that set, then they don't give a valuation, then we use the consensus valuation, which is also available on Star Stock. I'm sorry, so- Stock Doctor. Right, so this appears as like a little uh, heat map line. Yeah, correct, little graph, yep. And the big number in the middle under fair value, that's that's the figure that we're looking for. Yes, that's right. So we take that valuation and uh, I throw it into the, the spreadsheet. If you don't have Stock Doctor, I think you can use, if you go over to Yahoo Finance, you'll find that they have a consensus estimate as mm-hmm. well for some stocks. Uh, if Stock Doctor doesn't have it and you uh, don't want to use the Yahoo Finance one, we just leave the cell blank. Yes, that's right. As we said before, for smaller companies, we sometimes don't get a uh, evaluation on them. So it doesn't get penalised if we don't have one. It's just no. blank. doesn't add to our total score. Correct. But then in column AO, I asked the question, is the current share price beneath the stock doctor intrinsic value? Same sort of idea as our own intrinsic values. Again, it gets a one for a yes, a zero for a no. Um, But if the previous cell was blank in that we don't have an IV, then we leave this one blank as well. Mm -hmm. Similar process, column AP, what is the share analysis current intrinsic value? This is another financial data cell. You get it on the value versus price tab on share analysis. Again, if they don't have uh, an IV, leave the cell blank. And the next column, AQ, asks, is the current share price beneath the share analysis intrinsic value? One for a yes, zero for a no, blank if it's blank, if they don't have one. Mm -hmm. 
Column AR asks, is the intrinsic value on share analysis going up in the future? You can find that on share analysis on the same value versus price tab. Then we get to the column AS, which asks, is the financial health from stock doctor stable or increasing? We get this on the uh, financial health box on the homepage, the nine rules page, uh, Tony? Yeah, so on the nine rules page, you'll see uh, a series of bar charts. If you if that gets too hard to read, it shouldn't, but it, sometimes it can. You can go into financial statements. And again, on the financial metrics page, you'll see it in uh, the first row of of that page in, in quite bolded, uh, color-coded uh, scores with a, a financial health rating of strong or otherwise, and a little number behind it in the brackets, of, which is actually the score it gets when you run it through those Merv Lincoln metrics. Right. So how do we tell if it's stable or increasing using just section one here? Strong? It's a BHP's got a big strong in the Correct. circle. Is that stable or increasing? Uh, go below that. So it says L score, mm -hmm. June 15 to December 19. And mm. we're looking at the last two columns there, which is the last two scores for BHP. It says distress. No, I've got strong. Yeah, above that, it says distress. Yeah, so. sorry, it does, doesn't it? I don't know why it's saying that, but it's strong. It says strong. So again, if you, uh, if you hover your cursor above the last column, it says December 19, strong. Strong, yeah. But and then the it says distress that. above it. Yeah. <laughs> but we're looking at those. Oh, we're looking sorry, at those I, bars. I know why that is. It's because if a, if we went to a company where it was distressed, the column would go all the way up to touch the distress. Oh, top of the I see. It's strong so down reason, the bottom. Yeah, for some reason, a healthier company. Uh, is is a lower score. Oh, I see. Right. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, how do we score this then? So, I've got for increasing, we give it a two. For stable, we give it a one. Anything else is zero. Um, if it's just strong, 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 we say that's stable. Correct. That's a one. Right. And if it and was going it from weak to strong, that's increasing. Yes. And we're just doing the last two, last two uh, reports. So in this case, June 19 and December 19. All right. So column AT asks, is the CEO or a board member a founder? This is another score cell. Gets two for a yes, zero for a no. Uh, this, I believe, is because Warren Buffett has often said that he believes companies where the founder is either the, a CEO or is still active on the board, will often outperform other companies. Is that correct? Correct. That's right, yeah. Yep. No, uh, there's nothing like having skin in the game. So we will, uh, I mean, yes, it's great if it's a founder, but we, if someone else is on the board or in the, the company that has a very large shareholding, we'll also score that too as a founder. Now, on Stock Doctor, up in the little menu there, there's a little picture of uh, a silhouetted person wearing a tie. That's the Corporate Details tab. If you click on that, you'll see the current directors and management. And then we're looking at the uh, percentage under Ordinary Securities, the percentage mm -hmm. that, of the company that they own, yeah? Yeah, correct. Uh, yep. the, how, how big a percentage does it need to be to determine whether or not they're a founder? We're we looking at sort of 20% or more? Oh, no, I'd, I'd, I'd actually go lower. Um, 
it, it, it's a good question. I've gone as low as 5%. Uh, if, if I think that, that the person was a founder and they've been diluted over time, uh, then I'll go down to 5%. But probably around 10% is a good number. Because okay. I mean, the company the company may well have grown a lot and the, company and the owner may well have had to have sold down to achieve that growth too. Right. It's oftentimes okay. a, a request from institutional investors for, for founders to sell down to improve liquidity in the stock. Okay, so uh, again, they get a two for a yes, zero for a no. So column AU then is the sum of the scores. So we're adding up all of the score cells. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a blank, uh, obviously we don't add it up. Uh, and then, but in column AV, we count the number of checklist items that got a score, ignoring the blanks. That's a, that's a null result. Mm-hmm. Um, because in column AW, we want to come up with a checklist score, which is where we take the total score divided by the number of checklist items, and this gives us the quality score of the stock. And ideally, we want this to be higher than 75%. Why 75%, Tony? Is this a magic to that number? No, that's black magic. <laughs> <laughs> Black um, magic. Yeah, look, interestingly enough, uh, that was something I used to look at, but I, I, it's probably gone by the wayside now because uh, if a company scores less than that, I'll still buy it if it's cheap, uh, which we'll get to in a minute when we multiply the QAV, the uh, quality score by the uh, price to operating cash flow. Yeah. So that's the last column, column AX. Well, kind of the last column. This is where we give it a QAV score. This is where the rubber meets the road. We take the checklist score from column AW divided by the price to cash flow number, which was column L, price to cash ratio. And that will give us a number. If that number is greater than 0.1, it's a buy. If it's less than 0.1, it is not a buy. Correct. You want to explain why 0.1 is the, the magic number there, Tony? Again, black magic. No, so uh, in the past, uh, when I've, uh, what, what we'll do in probably next is to talk about ranking these companies in order of their QAV scores. So I would get to the QAV score, rank all the companies I've scored, uh, and then start to buy the ones with the highest score. And it just, I mean, it just seemed to be that uh, I was, you know, I, I had too many companies when I started to get down into anything less than 0.01, or oh, sorry, 0.1. Um, so it, that's really where it's come from. The reason why I have done that is because, uh, why, why I've used the score of 0.1 is because if, I, if it's the reporting season and I haven't analysed all the companies yet because they haven't reported, but I come across some that are scored more than 0.1, I'll buy them straight away rather than waiting for the whole, the whole uh, reporting season to finish and then racking and stacking all the, uh, the scores and buying down the list. So uh, 0.1 is, is just an easy thing to remember, and it's also about where we start to have enough companies in our portfolio. One of the things that we haven't spoken about, I guess, and we should point out to new listeners, is you don't like to have more than about 20 stocks in your portfolio at any given time. Yeah, correct. Or at least uh, start off that that way. Sometimes it grows a bit bigger than that. Sometimes it's at the moment it's it's much less than that. Yeah. So that's again just a rule of thumb. 
Um, what tends to happen, the, the more stocks you have, you tend to get uh, a smoothing of your return. So you're not going to get, uh, you know, sort of punch the, light out, punch the lights out returns. Uh, if you have lots of stocks, you're going to probably start to track the index close, closer than what you would if you had a small number. And that just makes sort of common sense. If, if you had one stock in your portfolio and it went up, you're going to, and it went up more than the market, then you're going to, you know, uh, beat the index and not correlate to the index. Um, once you get to about 15 uh, to 20, then you're starting to uh, have enough that makes it manageable, but also uh, gives you something which can. Uh, so if something does really well, it can still have a meaningful uh, impact on your total portfolio returns. Right, and you found that by making the cutoff 0.1, it just tends to narrow down the list to the best 20 or so business, 20 or so Correct. companies. 20 or 30, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, and then uh, really all that's left is if it gets a buy, uh, we often talk about the fact that you want to look at what the average trading volume is because for you and people like you that are dealing in large sums of money, you don't want to get stuck buying uh, too much of a company that has a low trading volume because it might be hard to get out if you want to get out at a later point. Correct. And it also might be hard to get in. So uh, unless you're very, very patient and buying small amounts of shares, you're driving the price up on the way in and driving it down on the way out. Right. And you want to be, what is it, about no more than 10% of the average daily trading volume? Yeah, I'll go as high as 20. Right. But that's that's about it. Yeah, you don't want to be right. too much above that. But for those of us that aren't yet dealing in uh, millions of dollars of buys and sells, probably not an issue. No, but we, we which is uh, one thing we do, though, with, with the QAV portfolio is we look at companies and score them and put them in the portfolio regardless of their average daily transaction value but some of them are pretty small so even if you're only trading in uh, tens of thousands of dollars you still want to make you still want to pay attention to that average trading uh, value average daily trading value just to make sure you're not going to flood the market either way in or out right well that's the checklist overview tony phew man that was a long podcast <laughs> <laughs> i think i'll break that into two okay yeah yeah, um, that was long, but that was good. So we've gone through that in detail now. Uh, again, if you're a QAV Club subscriber, go up to the checklist page. You'll be able to download uh, shortly, if not already by the time you listen to this, the Getting Started manual where I've taken everything that we've just talked about and sort of condensed it down to the main points into a written document that you can look at as you're doing this so you don't need to try and you know, find the spot of the podcast where we talked about what a price to cash ratio is every time. You can just uh, look at a written description. Good luck with that. If you have any questions, uh, email me, Cameron Riley at gmail.com, and I can throw your questions into next week's episode, whenever that may be. Like, doesn't matter when you're listening to this, it'll be in the next episode, is what I'm saying. And again, as I've said before, happy if it don't worry about the fact that we may have answered questions before. You, we're not worried about repeating ourselves because if you, if you don't understand it, there's probably hundreds of people that have just started listening who also don't understand it. And rather than me having to com completely uh, repeatedly say, go back and listen to this episode or that episode, we can just keep covering it. We can keep covering it over and over again. I don't think anyone listening to this, doesn't matter how many times they've heard you talk about a, a subject uh, 
get uh, bored with hearing you talk about it again, right? So it's uh, one of those things that we can just keep going over the basics, the fundamentals uh, repeatedly because it just sinks in every time I hear you talk about it a little bit more. Mm, yeah, good point. All right. Well, good. Thank, All right. Good. Thank you, Tony. Uh, uh, we'll be back next week. Good luck with your investing. Stay safe, Tony. Uh, stay isolated. I don't want you to catch the virus. Uh, I don't care if I catch it, but I don't want you to catch it. So uh, no golf. You're banned from golf until we're through this. Just get one of those like virtual golf things that I see in Hollywood movies. Like get a room of the apartment, Ooh, yeah. put a sheet up on the wall, right. your projector, smack the ball into that and get by. Right. Yeah, that would be good. Well, I may play golf if, if they keep the golf courses open in New South Wales. That'd be good. It's good to get out. Mm, no, well, you're only allowed to Do play by exercise. yourself, though. Just... Correct. You know. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll do that. Or you, or you and a priest. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, Tony. Thanks, Ken. Bye.